First, I want to share our vision as a church. And for some of you, you'll be hearing that for the first time. Uh, maybe you've come to a link class. Maybe you've spent some time on our website, so you may not be unfamiliar with it. Others, it'll be refreshing. This is really why we are as a church, why we've been called to exist and what we're meant to be doing. So that's first. Second, I want to share why I believe that a church building could significantly help us live out that vision. And third, I want to talk about how we as a church can further that vision through our financial giving. So let me pray. Father, we are so grateful that you've called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And in the light of your glory, we now see the beauty, the excellency of Jesus Christ. I pray for us as a church that we might continue to marvel at that. And that as we do, it might shine in us and that we might go out and proclaim it and that we might proclaim it as people come in our doors, Lord, that we might be full of that light and that news and that joy. And that that might be the future for our church. We thank you for all that you have been and done for King of Kings. And we trust you for our future. In Jesus' name, amen. So first, our vision as a church. It is inspired by 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. We heard that scripture read. I'll read verse 9 again. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why are we a church? Why are we a people? What are we meant to be doing We see it right here in this verse. We are a people for his own possession that we might proclaim the gospel. And I love how Peter defines the gospel. He says that we might proclaim the excellencies of him. We see right there that the gospel at its core is a person. It is Jesus Christ. But it's also the good news of what this person has done through his life and death and resurrection and ascension, what he's done that's called us out of darkness into marvelous light. That's how Peter puts it for this good thing that has happened to us. And so as a church, we were founded, we continue, and we will continue to be about that business of proclaiming Jesus Christ, to proclaim his excellence, how beautiful he is, how loving he is, how merciful he is. And to proclaim that he has called us out of a life of sin and brokenness and futility and lostness into his marvelous light where we get to enjoy now and forever his Father and the Son and the Spirit in all of their fellowship. So First Peter, in chapter 2, uh, leading up to this, he's used several metaphors about the corporate nature of God's people. And this reminds us that as Christians, and if you've been here long enough, you've heard me say this, as Christians, we are not called to just a me and Jesus little relationship that we get to enjoy privately on our own. Jesus is my boyfriend, let me just do that thing. That's not what it's about. 
It's incredibly personal. It's incredibly intimate. It is about us as unique individuals, but it's about being built into something bigger than ourselves, finding a purpose larger than ourselves. And now more than ever, that aspect of the gospel is needed because it's being lost because we're in such an individualistic society where it's just about me and what's important for me and what's going to make me happy. Peter helps us because he compares this to being living stones built into a dwelling place for God. And I love that illustration because it captures both the uniqueness, the individuality, which is important together with the corporate nature. We're each living stones. God, this master craftsman, has shaped us perfectly. We all have a different shape and form, but the purpose is not to just hang out as a living stone but to be built together with other living stones into a spiritual house, a place where God comes and he dwells and he does his work. So what that means for us is that we strongly believe in the importance of being a local church. I think we're sometimes in a, in a place where people play down church and they, 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 they're against organized religion. Well, I don't think so. Like we're, we're about organized religion. We're about the local church, the visible thing. Not because it's perfect, but because that's the place where we link up with God. That's the place where we experience what he's doing in creation, in the world. That's the place where we're grown up as individual believers. We're shaped as those living stones and we find the other living stones that we're to be built together with. You go through the scriptures and there's all this, these one another's, mainly the love one another, but also bear one another's burdens, rejoice with one another, grieve with one another, all those kind of things. You gotta have some one another's to do that with. And the local church is that place. And so because we believe that the local church is so central, we believe that's the best way that we can fulfill the vision to, as a people, proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. We can do that on our own and we should, but it has the most power and effectiveness when we're doing it as Peter shows us as a people. Now as a local church, we've identified four ways that we try to proclaim Jesus and the gospel. And this really describes what we do, what we're all about. It's captured in our vision statement. You can see that on our website. We have a nice little diagram that I did not get up on the screen for you. But it says that the vision of King of Kings is to be a local church, that proclaims Jesus Christ through four things, our worship, our outreach, our service, and our growth into Christ-likeness. So when we picture that, we picture worship as at the center. When we took some time to look at us as a church some years ago and say, what are we really about? We, We saw that this church has a unique charism, a gifting about worship. That God has given us something beautiful in our Anglican heritage, which we celebrate, that it's both ancient and modern. It's a way that we have to encounter him as a people Sunday after Sunday. So the word and the sacrament, the prayers and the praise, the, uh, the vestments that we use, the liturgy, the church calendar, all of that enhances our worship of God. And it's the main thing we do. I mean, that's where we put a ton of our time and resources and focus is on this week-by-week week gathering that we have, what we're doing right now. So worship is at the center. It's where Jesus Christ is regularly proclaimed in our midst. But authentic worship 
can never be contained in just a Sunday morning and then we go out and do what we want to do. Real worship always spills over. It's like a, a spring of water coming up from the earth. It doesn't just, it can't just be contained, right? It has to pool over. And that's where rivers are formed and they flow outward. And so those three other things flowing out from our worship for us are the outreach to those disconnected from God and his church. And I'll say more about that. It's service on behalf of those who need justice and mercy. And we heard Mark Landon talk about that that last week. And it's growth into the image of the one we worship, who is Jesus Christ. So worship at the center, overflowing to these other three areas. That's why we're here. That's what we're about. That's what we're going to continue to do. And it's been really exciting because over the last couple of years, God has been infusing this vision with new energy and life. He has been drawing together a wonderful and dynamic group of people, and in some ways diverse, not so much racial diversity, we'd love to see more of that, but just diversity as you talk to people of where they come from and how they relate to God and what their stories are like. There's a wonderful uh, gathering of people, and there's a lot of gifts, a lot of gifts in this room. People have a lot to offer and are offering those things. And it's a very healthy church. There is a lot of unity and enthusiasm that God has brought, and it's really him that's been doing it over these past few years. So we have a sense that he's up to something. Aslan is on the move. And we're not always sure of what the contours of that are going to look like, but we know that at the center of it, will be this call to joyfully proclaim Jesus Christ. So that's our vision. The second thing I want to do is share why I believe that a church building can more fully and effectively help us live out that vision. And just so you know, this isn't something that I said, what should I preach on on Sunday? Ah, Let's get a church building. I'll just cook something up real quick. We have been in this process for almost two years now. Beginning of uh, January 2015, I asked our leadership to begin to pray about this and say, hey, what do we think? It's come up a couple times in the past where we thought about it, but sort of a new version would say, is this something we feel called to? Is this something that we want to pray about and pursue? And the leadership said, yes. And so we began to pray and to discuss and to research what this whole process would be about. And then the beginning of this past year, if you remember, if you were at our annual meeting, we shared that with the congregation and we started saying, hey, we invite your prayers as well. Would you begin to pray about this with us? And if I could say anything this morning, it would be simply this. Would you pray? Would you just pray that God would show us what his will is, that he would uh, help us Not that he would provide. That's kind of a funny prayer because we know God's going to provide, but that he would shape all of us to trust him as the provider and that we would walk with him in this whole process. As I've prayed about it, um, the, the thing that comes up in my heart is that at the end of this process, if God were to give us our own facility one day, that all of us would be really clear that God had done it. That it wouldn't be something that we said, wow, look at us or look at that amazing person who gave that amazing gift. But wow, look at what God did to provide for this. And he would do so in lots of ways, including through the generosity of his people. So we need his wisdom, his guidance. We need to know him as the provider. And we want his loving, holy, glorious character to be magnified in this whole process. So would you please be in prayer for that?
I want to use the four components of our vision to explain why I believe that a church building could be a very helpful tool in proclaiming Christ. So first, our worship. How could a church building serve our worship of God, what we're doing primarily on Sundays? Um, Let me give you a theological reason, an aesthetical reason, and a practical reason. Theologically, um, church buildings are a foretaste of new creation. They're a foretaste of the new heavens and the new earth. In Habakkuk chapter 2, he has this picture, this vision, where he says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. So in the end, when Jesus returns and we're resurrected and there's new creation, all of the world, all of the planet will be filled with the Lord's presence. All of it will be sacred space. In some sense, it already is now, but it will be claimed as such. And all of it will be filled with worship. Every corner of the globe will be filled with worship. Now, a church building now has a lot of purposes. It has a lot of functional purposes. But at the center of the purpose of a church building is that it's consecrated space for worship. It's set apart so that the people of God can come together and meet with their Lord and see how great he is. Now, we know that we can worship God anywhere because even now, all the earth belongs to him. But there's something very special about taking land and buildings and place and setting it aside for the glory of God and saying this church building is a foretaste of what all the world is going to be one day when all the world is worshiping God in his claimed space. An ascetical reason for why a building would serve our worship. As human beings, we are embodied creatures. We're not just souls or spirits. We have bodies, and it is good that we do. When we go into new creation, we'll have a different type of body, a renewed body, a resurrected body, but it'll still be material. It'll still be physical. We inhabit space. And the way that God has designed us is as these physical creatures, we long for physical beauty. It's why we plant flowers. It's why we watch sunsets. It's why we see the harvest moon because we want to see the physical beauty that God has made. As Anglicans, we take this really seriously, this this matter, this material part of our worship. It's why we wear robes and colorful scarves called stoles. It's why we set up these curtains It's why the altar guild lays out this beautiful table behind us. And all of that prepares us to this central event of our worship where we come and we have this incredibly physical reminder of God's love and we worship him through taking a piece of bread and smelling it and seeing it and feeling the weight of it and then having a sip or dipping that in the wine and and that taste, that's part of our worship. We're physical creatures. We worship in physical ways. Architecture Physical space plays a part of that. Now, I love this room. We filled this room with some good worship. We have a disco ball. Observe. (laughs) We have mirrors. I've learned to read backwards on the screen. But there's something about a space that's designated for worship. And I was reminded of this when I went down to Church of the Apostles in Columbia. It's a church we often go for meetings. And um, they, some years ago, came into a church building 
And they've done a really nice job. It's not huge, it's not gaudy, it's not overdone. It's a simple space, but it's a beautiful space. And the most beautiful thing about it is it is set apart for worship. And you simply walk in the sanctuary and you're, you're beginning to worship. You're drawn up into prayer and into the presence of God. So finally, a practical reason. We've done set up church for almost 16 years. And I think we do a really good job. Thanks to faith, faithful volunteers who've been doing this year after year after year. Thanks to a very good partner at the Y who helps things work here for us. Uh, this place, we've made a home. But it's a lot of work. And there are limitations. Setup takes a lot of time and effort. Talk to someone who's been on a setup team and you'll hear that. There are things about the environment that we can't control. Temperature's okay this morning, but you've been in here before where it's like freezing or really hot, and you know, it's, it's a minor thing, but that's another thing that we just don't control. The why, they're really good partner. They're really good at working with us. But sometimes availability is an issue. Sometimes availability on a Sunday, and definitely during the week, if we're looking to do something or gather in some way, the availability uh, goes way down. There are limitations to growth. At some point, we could outgrow this room. We could move to the gym. We've been there before, but there are lots of issues with that room that some of you experienced in the past. So by God's grace, we've made this place work, but there are lots of limitations and there's lots of um, opportunities if you were in your own space just for how a Sunday morning would feel and operate. So that's our worship. Uh, Let me say a few words about our outreach and how a building would play into that. When we're reaching out to those who are disconnected from God or from his church, um, a lot of times, much of the time, we need to go outside the walls of the church, and we know that. Because there's a lot of people that will not come into a church building. So it's our relationships and neighborhood and workplace and family um, that's going to be key in that. But here's the thing. In our context, there are still lots of people who do come to a church who very much need the proclamation of the gospel. It's kind of like when someone is sick and they've come to an awareness of that, they go to a hospital for healing. There's still lots of stories of people being awakened by the Holy Spirit, knowing they have a need, and where are they going to go? Probably not to a YMCA. They're probably going to go to a church. I think a common story in Charlotte is that people come here, uh, they get married, sometimes they have kids, and then in that process of starting a family, they often feel the need to go to church. Maybe they consider themselves Christians, but they're very much in need of teaching and discipleship. And again, I don't think people in that case normally would go to a YMCA. They go to a church building. And here's the reason why. Because most people, especially in Charlotte, think that the church is a building. Now, we know better. We know that it's the people of God. It's the group that gathers around worship and sacrament and word. But for a lot of people, that's just what they assume. Hey, that's, that's that thing down on the corner. And, oh, maybe one day I'll, a day I'll have a need and a desire to go there. So the church building is like this huge sign, sort of, that says to the wider community, here's who we are. We're a church. And it invites people to come in and to join us. I think it also says to the wider community, we're grounded here. We're incarnated. We've moved into the neighborhood and we're here to stay and to love you, and to walk with you, and to serve you. Our outreach includes people disconnected from God, so your classic lost person, your atheist, your agnostic, whatever, 
but it also includes people disconnected from his church. Because when we look at our context in Charlotte, we're dealing with 93% of people who self-identify as Christians. 93%. I think the national average, this might be higher than you think, but it's 83%. But it's higher here in Charlotte. Huge amount of those people are not connected to a local church or and or uh, really are not following Christ. Uh, don't have an orthodox view of God. There, there's lots of deficiencies, you might say, in their discipleship. They're, if they're trying to follow Christ, they're trying to do it with one arm, two arms, two legs tied behind their back because they don't know him as they should and they don't have a church body. And so part of our outreach is to say, hey, you're a Christian, great. You need a church, great. Come and walk with us. And there's something about this church that's a little bit unique. It's not better, but it's a little bit unique in this city. Because to be liturgical or traditional in a way, but also thoroughly evangelical and to be open to the Holy Spirit in our midst, there's something really beautiful about that. There's something that I think a lot of people are looking for that even if they don't know it yet. And at the heart of our church, our best resource, and I've watched this over the years, is you. You all are an incredible group of people. You all are an incredible group of disciples. And I've had this vision, this desire for some time that, that God would bring into our midst um, some baby Christians, however old they might be, some people that really need the encouragement and the mentorship and the walking with that we can provide as a church because of the experience and the gifts and the love of the people in this room. So a church building, especially in the city, can be an amazing tool to draw people in that they might encounter Christ. What about service? What about needs of justice and mercy in our city? Again, a lot of that, rightfully so, happens outside. It happens out there. And we need to be willing, and we are going to those places like Lansdowne Elementary. But I've been surprised to see and to think about um, how having your own facility actually facilitates service. Again, Church of the Apostles in Columbia, I was talking to the, the rector the other day, and he was describing how, it, I don't think it was necessarily part of the plan, but when they moved into this building, and for them it was downtown, all of a sudden this beautiful homeless ministry has burgeoned up. may not have been their plan, but it's what God had planned. And they, they're feeding people. We've been there where they're, they're just feeding people from the city. They have a little cafe where they're engaging with people and walking with people who are in that place. I think a lot of what a church building does is give you this immense tool for hospitality. And hospitality can be right at the center of justice and mercy ministries, of inviting somebody in, of helping them, of walking with them. So we could do things like um, feeding the homeless and housing them through Room in the Inn, which we've been able to do in the past um, with the Y, but having our own facility could really help that. We could do after-school programs, tutoring, uh, ESL classes, vacation Bible school. Really, we can just keep going and imagine more and more ideas. Sometimes churches, I hope this would be the case with us if God gave us something, that they're very generous with their space. They're very open with their space. We've been blessed by that, having been a um, set-up church for a long time. Other churches who said, yeah, use our sanctuary. Yeah, use this. And there are churches that do that, um, especially for certain organizations that might be serving those in need in our society. And then finally, growth into Christ-likeness. We want to grow into maturity as Christ, in Christ. 
And we want to do that as individuals on our own, but we also want to do that and need to do that as a body. And we found ways to do it. We meet in pastorates. If you hadn't signed up for one, they're starting this week. I encourage you to do so. We meet in people's homes in these pastorates, and there's a richness in that. We have men and women's ministries. We have retreats. And so we're able to do it. It's not like we can't grow in Christ until we have a building. That's absurd. And yet there are limitations to space. There are limitations to the ability to gather during the week, especially. A lot of times when we have an idea of, well, let's gather together and do this, whatever this might be, we instantly face that challenge of, well, where are we going to meet? How much is it going to cost? How many phone calls is it going to take? Whether that's a special service we want to have, maybe something in a liturgical year, Maybe that's a wedding or a funeral, a conference, a training, a fellowship dinner. We have those limitations of space. A building allows those things to happen more easily. Our office space. Um, we're really good at going out in the community and meeting with people, but we lack a place during the week where you know that your pastors are there and you can come by and pray with them and meet with them. Now, Graciously, this man who used to attend our church, uh, he's an elderly man, he has um, a large home, he lives on the first floor, and so he's got four bedrooms upstairs, and he allows us to use some of those rooms as our office space, and he doesn't charge us anything. It's been a wonderful gift, but it's not the kind of place long-term that we want to be, because we wanted to have a more public space, a place that is more easily to gather and to be together during the week. The other thing about not having a building that I've noticed over the years is how it impacts our relationships. It has forced us into being a decentralized church. People are scattered all over the city, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but there's no central place that draw us together. And that can make it hard to build community with church members. Our lives don't as naturally overlap as much. I believe that having a central space, a church home, over time would change that. One, you could gather together more easily, as I talked about. Two, as new people come into our church, often they're going to come from the surrounding space around the church. And then three, and let me just cast this vision, put this seed out there, as people move down the road, as uh, you have to upsize or downsize, or there's some reason that you need to move, that people might consider, hey, I want to be closer to my church. I want to be close proximity to the place where we gather and worship. There's a lot of reasons why we choose a location to live. Convenience and commute and schools. Why not consider being close to God's people? I think we should get back to a parish model. I think churches across the country should consider this, of, of being in close proximity to those with whom you worship, and it also serves your outreach and your service, because your literal neighbors are the people that you can walk with and serve. So those are some reasons we could sit around in a group and we could talk about more and we could talk about challenges and limitations. I don't think this is just a sort of one, one perspective thing. I know there's a lot out there with a church building, a lot of things to consider. But I think that having a facility of our own, after watching this for years and years and years, and I've watched how our church operates and I've watched how the city operates, and at first I wasn't in this place. I didn't think we needed a church building. I was really passionate about what could be done here at the Y. And after seeing these things, I've come to that conclusion that I think this is the next best step for us as a church because I think that it would actually open up new opportunities for what we're trying to be about, which is to proclaim in those four ways. 
So third and finally this morning, how might we realize this vision for a building? God can provide in some very miraculous and surprising ways. The youth class this morning, we were looking at John 6, where he fed the multitudes with a very small amount of food. And it's a great reminder of how God can take a little and he can do a lot. Oftentimes, in fact, I would say normally, he provides for his church through the generosity of his people, through their financial gifts, through the ways that he's blessed them. Let me begin by saying, this is really important, we are not starting a capital campaign right now. That may be coming in a few years, but we're not doing that right now. We don't believe we're quite there yet. Instead, the Leadership Council has laid out two clear financial goals, and I've been very grateful for their partnership and leadership on this. The first goal is that we want to restore and to strengthen our operational budget. This time last year, you may recall, we faced a significant shortfall. Our cash reserves were very low. They were below $6,000 in our checking account. We gathered together, we prayed, we communicated that need to the church and God provided through the generosity of his people. We also practiced some financial discipline. We, we cut our budget significantly. That included uh, cuts to staff compensation, to some administrative costs, to programs like retreats. Retreats have been a little more expensive this year because we didn't have the budget for them. Through your generosity, through these cuts, God greatly improved our situation so that today our checking account, our cash reserves are about twenty-five dollars to $30,000. That's a testimony to the grace of God of what he can do in one year. Going into 2017, we'd like to restore our budget. We'd like to strengthen it back up, to build it back up. We'd like to restore some cuts that we made in staff compensation. We'd like to add back in money for programs and other administration. Right now, our diocese, which is our larger group of churches and bishops and things, they ask us to give 10% of what we take in and our regular offerings to them. And that money goes to support that overall care and structure that we get. Some of that money goes to Rwanda. We still have a relationship with them. Right now, this year, we're paying 2.5%. We'd like that to get up to 10. Hopefully in 2017, we can get it to five and eventually we can get it up to 10. So that's the immediate future. That's what we want to do into 2017. But looking out a little further and considering a building, we need to have an operations budget not only large enough just to cover the operations, but also to accommodate the additional expenses of owning and operating a building. And this is where Don Ward has done some very helpful research. A lot of churches forget to plan for this, but of giving us a sense of the church building we might need and what's involved in terms of lighting and landscaping and capital improvements. And so we're trying to plan for that as well, looking a few years down the road. So just to give a little bit of perspective, people who like numbers, this year our budgeted expenses were $18,000 per month. $18,000 per month. In 2017, to restore some of the cuts we made, not all of them, but some of the cuts, we'd like to be at $21,000 a month, so an increase of $3,000 a month. A few years from now, if God provides a building, we need a budget of around $30,000 per month, or $360 a year, to operate, to do all our operations, and to care for the building properly. So how can you help with this first financial goal of strengthening the operation budget? Make your giving to this church as regular and as generous as you're able. And many of you are already doing that. 
Make your giving to this church as regular and as generous as you're able. I want to point out the connection between regularity and generosity. Because as we've looked at our financial data and sort of analyzed some things, there actually is a connection. Those who give the most often tend to be those who give most generously. And I think there's also something um, just on the spiritual side of the regularity of the practice of worship, of that practice of faith that we have in giving. Now, you may feel that setting aside a monthly gift would be pretty small, but you'd be surprised at how that adds up. It's a level of consistency in our revenue for the church that's immensely helpful. It helps us to plan and to not know that there's going to be these you know, extreme ups and downs. Take for the summer, for example. People travel. We get that. July and August, we had our lowest attendance. It was also um, some of our lowest giving. So when people aren't here, the giving goes down. We'd like to see that change. We know that travel is a reality, but we don't want church finances to suffer because of it. And so I would ask each person in each family, if this is your church home, to consider an amount that you believe that you can give every month. And we do hold up tithe, 10%, not as this legalistic law, but as this, yeah, that's a good principle. That's a good guidance to say, hey, I wanna take 10% every month of what God's provided for me and I want to give that away. So shoot for that. Maybe it's a goal you need to work up to over the years. And then set up a way to automatically give that to the church every month. Now there's some in here that are like faithful check writers and you don't forget. God bless you, carry on. There's others who have set up a bill pay through their bank that they automatically, a check is sent to King of Kings. That's immensely helpful. Probably the best tool though, and I'll tell you why, the best tool is this online giving we have called Realm. Um, that makes it really easy for you um, it, to get on, to check your giving history, to set that all up. It also makes it easy for us on a book ending, a bookkeeping standpoint because we don't have to go and manually enter that. We pay someone to do that, so that's really helpful to have that. Um, so Realm, if you'd like to consider that, you haven't got set up on that, I want to look, you to look in your bulletins, and there's a little card that says uh, King of Kings at the top of it. It's got our, um, our theme verse, 1 Peter 2.9. And if you'd like to get set up on Realm, and I would ask you to consider doing that, uh, just put your name and your phone number down there and circle number one. Please set me up on Realm so I can use the online giving tool. We'll have someone uh, contact you, get you set up in all the steps, and then you can take it from there um, with your financial giving. Uh, you may have already received an email invitation, and you can go through those steps, but um, if you want someone to help you get set up, we'd be glad to do that. So that's the first thing we can do to move towards this goal, this regular and generous giving. The second goal the Leadership Council has created is to build up our cash reserves even more. We're really grateful for what's happened over the year, but we have discovered, as we've researched and done our homework, that it's important not only to have a strong operations budget, but to also have about six months of reserve in the bank. So looking ahead for us, that would be about 140000 give or take. And so we've set a goal that by next summer, by June 30th, of 2017 that we'd have $70,000 in cash reserves. We have 30 now, and so between now and July, we hope to raise 40. We're calling this, hence the verse, the, the 1 Peter 2.9 fund, because we want to remind us what this is about. It's not about getting money. It's about helping us to continue and to strengthen our proclamation of Christ. 
Let me also say, this is very important, the First Peter 2.9 is not a building fund. Again, we may come to that one day, but that's not what this is. It's an unrestricted cash reserve account. And so if you're giving to it, you need to know that. But we really believe that it's a, a necessary tool to help us move into the future and consider the next steps. Think about it like this. If you wanted to buy a house, and some of you may be in that place, you want to have two things in place. You want to make sure that your, your monthly budget can afford to have a house. And that's all squared away. And then you also want to have some savings built up in the bank for all that's involved and just to have that financial security. And so those are the same kind of ways that we're looking at it, operations and savings. So I'd like to ask every person in every family to consider giving to this fund over the next nine or ten months. But this is important. Don't short your regular monthly giving in order to give to the first Peter 2.9 fund. Don't rob Peter to pay Paul. The first priority is to make your monthly giving as generous as you're able and as regular as you're able. And that's all you're able to do this year. We thank God for that and we bless you. But on top of that, if you're able and you can make an offering to this First Peter 2.9 fund to build up our cash reserves, then we would welcome that. Sometimes people think about this as tithes and offerings. So your tithes are your sort of regular gifts that you make and then your offering are, are those over and above things that you're able to make to things. Maybe you don't have the funds right now to make an offering. This is where it can get exciting with the Lord. I would challenge you to pray, to say, Lord, would you provide for me in some unexpected way that I'm not planning for so that I might provide, so that I might give a gift and watch what God might do. $40,000 over a year sounds like a lot of money. I mean, last year God did it with about $20,000 and we didn't even ask for it. Um, I mean, we did ask for it, but not in this kind of deliberate way. So it's a big goal. But I think it's a doable goal. Let me just break it down for you a little bit. If 10 people gave $200 over the next year, just an extra $200 on top of what they're already giving, um, that's a big gift for a lot of people. That's a very generous gift. If another 10 people gave $500, if another eight people gave $1,000, if three people gave $5,000, and if one person gave $10,000, we'd be at the goal. So wherever you are in your finances, whatever God has blessed you with, um, there's, there's a way to give to this. And we, we want to think about it all as a generous gift and an offering to the Lord. So you may be in a place today, you know that, you, you can commit to an amount. And so again, on that same card, um, at the bottom, number two, again, fill out your name, your phone number, and you say, I pledge, you don't have to give it right now. Um, you pledge to give this amount and turn that in the offering plate later. Maybe you need to pray about it. Maybe you need to see how your end of the finances, end of the year finances go. See how God might surprise you in the coming year. So just take this home and pray about it, and listen for how God might lead you. And if it comes a time where you're ready to give a gift, it's pretty easy to do. Just check with 1 Peter 2.9 in the memo line, or you can go on Realm. If you've done that before, there's a little drop-down box. Instead of, I think it's called the general fund, you want to choose the 1 Peter 2.9 fund, and you can give that way as well. Let me pray for us. And so now, Father, we ask you to lead the way to continue to lead the way. We want to seek first the kingdom. We want to seek first your righteousness and trust that all these other things that are necessary and helpful for us to carry out your purposes for us that you will give in good time. Let us not get ahead of you. Let us not get behind you. Let us listen closely and let us be just amazed by the grace that you pour out on this congregation, not just financially, but in every way, as you've been doing so faithfully. 
Lord, I thank you and bless you for the people you've gathered, for this wonderful um, gathering of gifts and talents and love and faithfulness. Would you allow this to not be contained in our walls, but to go out, that Christ might be proclaimed and that more people might be drawn to the light of his glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.